If Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer, to suffer affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Please be seated. I'm sorry you had to wait on me. Uh, the little stick remote that I like so much uh, did not have a light come on. And if you are familiar with uh, electronics, if it doesn't have a light, it's not a good thing. Sorry. So, we still have a remote. I guess it's a sickness. And perhaps that sickness is associated with my family or my last name. But the sickness is, I really enjoy competition. It doesn't matter what kind. It doesn't matter who's playing what or what we're playing. Do you know what my favorite sport is in the Winter Olympics? Curling. Why? I have no idea. But I will sit up at night and watch it. Come on, get that rock, get that rock. For crazy reasons. And I think it... it really all go back, goes back to a point in which I was um, sick as a younger kid because then there would be those shows during the daytime television and now you can watch them on their own network. Game shows. They're full of competition. There's always somebody winning and always, unfortunately, somebody losing. That there are game shows from the 70s that are classics in our minds. There are even those today that we still continue to watch. How many of you watch Family Feud every night? Is that just me? Okay. That's fine. That's just a few of us. That's fine. Well, today we're going to make a deal. We're going to play Let's Make a Deal. And here's the offer. Offer number one. I will give you $100,000 right now for your vehicle. This is fake. I will give you $100,000 right now for your vehicle, yes or no? Shake or nod, yes or no? Some nodding no. They, maybe they want that second offer, some saying yes. Listen, $100,000. If you were to stack two types of our cars on top of each other, you wouldn't make it to $100,000. So that would be a pretty good deal for us. And then you hear the guy who's always paid with the voice, but wait, there's more. How about offer number two? I'll give you a million dollars for your vehicle, but here are the conditions. You have to bring me back the check for $100,000 next Sunday, and you have to leave your car in the parking lot and your keys with me all week. One or two. What do you choose? $100,000, which is a, a fair amount of money for what we have, or a million dollars. Uh, let's analyze this for a second. Uh, would you rather have the immediate gain or the future gain? Because this week's going to be an inconvenience. How are you going to get to work? That's not my problem. 
How are we going to get food for the groceries for the house? It's still not my problem. I don't know how you're going to do that. But would you be willing, I guess you could have those delivered nowadays, would you be willing to leave your car in the parking lot? You see, curtain number one has no effort, no sacrifice, and a pretty good game. But curtain number two, with just a little effort and just a little sacrifice and a little inconvenience, you get ten times what you could have in curtain number one. Go ahead, choose. Curtain number one, curtain number two. Make your choice because we're going to have to stick to it. All right, everybody go. No. Let's take an eye, a moment and look at, let's make a deal in real life. Deal number one, curtain number one, Satan's deal. Immediate pleasure, immediate, immediate reward. He'll regard you and use with you the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, he will use lust and immorality, any kind of lust that you have or that I have, or any kind of immorality that you or I want to take part in, he'll use those things. Takes no effort and no discipline. And it sounds good, it looks good, and it feels good. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is where Michael read for us earlier this morning. Grab your Bible. Don't worry, I'll wait on you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 24, beginning. I don't know if you can see this, but perhaps those who have better eyes than mine can tell you I'm not lying to you. So, in, in my particular copy of the Bible that I have right here, uh, in, in verse number 24, I have written in red, underlined, faith. And I have circled the name Moses. And in the blue pen, I have underlined the word refuse. If you'll go from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, throughout the entirety of that chapter, what you'll run into is how biblical faith works. It, you'll run into this, by faith Abel offered. By faith uh, Enoch was translated. By faith uh, Moses here uh, refused. Every time you see something about this man or this woman by faith, you'll see an action that they did. Does that negate their faith? No. Does that mean they had to work their way toward salvation? No. It's interesting that every time God would mention it, that he mentions it that way, that they had enough faith to put that faith into action. Verse number 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, stop right there. When he was old enough to understand what is right and wrong. When he's old enough to understand 
just exactly where his decisions will lead him. When he's old enough to understand who his grandfather is in, in respect to the entire world. When he's old enough to understand who he is seen by the entire world. Moses, when he was come of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I asked this question in the 730 service, and I, I had only five or six people raise their hand, and then I had to ask it a different way. So let's, let's start out and see if we got this right. How many of you have ever had a grandfather? Good. That's more than, more than we had. Last time I had to ask them how many didn't when nobody would raise their hand. You've had a grandfather. You know the relationship between the grandfather and the grandson, the grandmother, granddaughter, grandfather, uh, granddaughter, grandmother, grandson, all of those relationships we understand. And we understand that the grandparent gets to give the grandchild a lot of things that the parent doesn't get to give them. The parent gets to give them the the morality to be able to stand up and to be able to be disciplined. And uh, if you become a papa bear, you get to give them whatever they want, right? And ride on roller coasters with them, even though you don't want to. Sure. My grandfather taught me how to weld, and he was a pretty good welder. And uh, he let me weld on like the insides of the, of the uh, engine compartment of this old truck so I could learn how to do it right. And pretty much so it would be not ever seen by anybody if I ever messed it up. I did okay. You know, there's a lot of difference between sticking metal together and welding. Did you know that? I found that out that summer. At the end of that summer, he threw me a set of keys for the truck we were restoring. I didn't know. I just thought I was learning to weld. Isn't that nice of him? Here, Moses has refused any of the privilege that would come along with the most powerful man in the world. One who would be more powerful even than our president because he presents himself to the world and the world accepts him as a little g-god. And so as, as Pharaoh presents himself out to the world, everyone sees him as a god. And now you're the, ne the, uh, the grandson of a god. That's pretty good. But he refuses that. And when he refuses that, there is some immediate problems. Notice verse number 25. So after he refuses being pampered and... and and those types of things by Pharaoh. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. His choice, instead of being uh, kept by Pharaoh, is to suffer. He's going to suffer with the people of God because he has found out who he is and what God expects. You know what he also finds out? And God tells us and makes us fully aware of this uh, in verse number 25 there of Hebrews chapter 11, that there is pleasure in sin. And to teach anything else would be dishonest. You know, curtain one and two, there are, there are gains. There are pleasures. One is immediate and one is down the road a little way. 
He said, I'm going to avoid the immediate pleasure of sin that only lasts very small time, that's very temporal in its nature. And I'm going to push toward joy, peace, and happiness that's found in eternity. So as he begins to look at himself, he says, I'm going to choose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. And notice this, verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of Egypt. He had respect unto all the recompense of the reward. Moses, are you sure you're choosing right? You would rather suffer in the same fashion in which Christ did? than to live in the lap of luxury? You're really going to turn down deal number, curtain number one? Curtain number one gives you an entire life full of pleasure. Let's suppose from this point in time that Moses chooses that he lives to be a thousand years old. And he lives the rest of his life in all the pleasure of, that he can think of and dream up and whatever his imagination is, he has. What happens after that? When he finds himself slipping from this life into eternity, then what does he have? He's got nothing. Let's look at curtain number two for a while. Future bliss and reward. Now, it requires effort. It requires sacrifice. It requires service. All of those things are required by God to fulfill His law, but there's some must there also. We're going to have to be faithful in service. We're going to have to resist temptation and endure. Endure is a funny word and a funny concept. The idea of enduring means that we're going to be put in those same tests and trials that Moses was, that Jesus was. Choosing rather to suffer the affliction of Christ. Is it worth it for the world? No. Would you give up everything in your life to live miserably in order to gain something that you're not even sure exists? As the world would say, no. I have to get everything I can right now while, while, the, uh, while the iron is hot. And yet Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, Paul would write by the inspiration of God, and he would say this, for the wages of sin is death. Now we have been going back and forth in our country for a couple of years now, speaking about something known as the minimum wage. For you who don't know what the minimum wage is, that is the least amount you can legally be paid. More or less. Paid for what? For, for a job done? For a task completed? Well, in this instance, in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, God would tell us that the, our payment that's due for the sin that we have committed is death. Well, for which one, preacher? For any of them. That would, we would drive a wedge between ourselves and God and push ourselves away from curtain number two. 
But, he would say, reminding us of curtain number two. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, his Son. In one nutshell verse, God would say, here's curtain number one, death. Here's curtain number two, life. Which would you choose? By the way, you still haven't chosen curtain one or curtain two. Are you making up your mind? So many people in our society choose curtain number one, which is Satan's offer, over curtain number two, which is God's offer. They choose the $100,000 over the $1 million. You want to know why that is? Because they fail to see the value in the curtains and in themselves. They don't see the value in themselves. They don't see the value in the sacrifice that was made. They don't see the value in why it is necessary for man to choose. They don't see the value in anything. They see the instant gratification. I'm going to encourage you today to look at the value. Look at what you're worth to God. Not, not necessarily even to people around you. Look at what you're worth to God. Satan's Offer can last a lifetime, perhaps. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, God's offer lasts eternally. Notice this. After Paul would write that he's finished the course, he's kept his faith, he would write, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And perhaps we look at that and say, of course there is, Paul. Look at all the things that you have done. Look at how you have worked for God. Look at, how, look at all of these things in your life that would point you as being a, a good uh, Christian man that way. Look at all those things you've done. Of course that's laid up for you. Paul would go on to say, it's not for me only. In verse number 8, it's not for me only. But to all them that love his appearing, and those who love his appearing know and understand their value. Those who know or love his appearing love the fact that Jesus will return that one day. And love the fact that time will be no more. And that the family of God will be called home. And that they're in that family. We so often sell our souls, that soul that Jesus himself would say in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 16, what would you give in exchange for it? How valuable is it? We often sell it for silly things or petty things, foolish things. We sell our eternity for the temporal thing. Because we don't understand value. Take a moment and understand God's plan. Understand God's plan as He would lay it out so beautifully and so easily for mankind to understand. Look at God's plan as it is tailor-fitted to every single person. First, do you want to follow God? 
This is, where, this is where it begins. If you want to, there is a plan. If you don't want to, well, then I guess you don't need to know the plan. If I have a desire to follow God, my first uh, directive by God is to read the book and understand it. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 and Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. You and I are required to read that book, understand what God would have us to do, and then for us to do those things. Have faith in God's plan. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the Hebrews writer would write this, for it is impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're willing to do that, would you be willing to repent of your sin? Are you willing to turn away from, from what you want to do to what is best to do? Once again, the question is, you want $100,000 or a million? It seems to be more difficult to make that money decision uh, than it is if I'm going to follow after God. Well, I want to follow Him, but I don't want to change. Well, then you don't want to follow Him. Following God has always, always required man to change. It has never required God's law to change. It has always required the man change. If you're willing to change, would you be willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ? The Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Redeemer, the one sent by God to redeem us back to Him, to buy my meaningless self back to God. Because as I look at myself, I'm not worth somebody dying on a cross, but as God look at, looks at me, I am very much worth someone dying on a cross. And so are you. If you're willing to do that, would you be willing to be baptized? So many have said about baptism that, that that's a, a, a work of action and that God doesn't require any works. It's not a work of action. That's one man burying another dead man. The action that's found in baptism is the action of God washing away sin. How does he do that with that water that's found right back here in this pool? The answer is, I don't know. But that's not my concern. Doing those things will put you into the very family of God. But there must be a desire to stay there. For you who have not put on Christ in baptism, that's what you need to do today. For you who have, it might be the best thing for you to examine your life. Look at yourself and see, are you faithful to the God who has saved you? It might be the thing that you look and say, I did choose curtain number two. I did choose God's offer, but somehow I've walked away from it. Look in your mind for a moment. And think about how foolish you would think someone was who had a million dollars in cash, just sat it down outside some boutique downtown, just walked away from it. And you would say, what in the world is that person doing? 
Hmm. Imagine having God's offer of salvation. Putting it down somewhere downtown and walking away from it. And we sometimes look and say, boy, I wish they would come back. Without the same urgency of seeing that $1 million to say, what are y'all, what are you doing? What are we doing? When we look at ourselves, we have to look there and say, is God's salvation, is it still found within me or have I walked away from it? And if the case is that you have walked away from it, there's no better time than right now to walk back to it while we stand and sing for your encouragement. There is